serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So, um, to introduce um, any of the people in the class in the 90s that came in when I did, um, names like Chris Schroeder and Raymer and, and Houston and Hawk and all those different guys, when I came in, that's who we listened to. And, um, you know, these guys have a depth, uh, had carried this message of, of depth and weight. And, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, Chris, that I listened to your CDs um, and was at a few of the speaking commitments. And you don't know. None of you guys, you know, I, I guess we do because it happened to us as well. But you guys touch people and you touched me in a way that you couldn't possibly know. And, and things have sprung board from that. And I thank you guys for your service. And it's my pleasure to welcome Chris. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. What an incredible weekend. You know, everybody that's gotten up here has said this has been an incredible weekend, but it has. Uh, I, I mean, what, an, what a great lineup. Mark, uh, Mark was talking at dinner uh, last night, and I asked him how this, how this came about. And he goes, well, I, th I was thinking about doing an event like this, and I picked my 13 favorite speakers, or 11 favorite speakers, and I, I called them all up expecting maybe six of them would be free, and everybody said yes. So, so really, really what, what this is, is it's, it's, uh, it's a collection of, uh, of the people that, that Mark really likes to, to listen to. And, and, in, the, and in that dynamic... <laughs> In that dynamic it is is something that I've I've never experienced. I've been part of a lot of conferences and workshops, but really what I see in this particular one is there's a heavy influence on the Denver, the early Denver areas, um, uh, the young people's group and people that came out of that. Uh, Gary and you know Don Pritz and a number of these people. What what they did was they got down to a very very a specific way of moving through the steps out of the book Alcoholics Anonymous and made that made that the core piece of their recovery program and changed countless lives and 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 the ripples of that have moved out uh, uh, across the country, and really, what, what, what's represented here today are the people that have been influenced by the people who um, got involved in the early days in the, in the different young people's group, and the people that were touched by that. So that makes this a really special event uh, for me because my spiritual lineage is traced back uh, to Denver. Many of the people I've, I've never met. Uh, many of the people that are gone today have helped uh, helped to influence me in uh, in actually doing uh, doing the work as it's laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, my my topic uh, today is on awakening, and that, that leaves a lot of latitude. Uh, but you know, and I will be describing that a little bit. Um, the section from the spiritual experience that was read earlier describes it very, very well. You know, what happens to us through a course of action and a, and a shift in perception is we begin to awaken. Uh, that would lead me to believe that if they're saying that we're going to become spiritually awakened, prior to this work, we're spiritually asleep. 
And that's not something that's real popular to share at the local home group, you know. But, but to a degree, it's, to a degree, it's true. I, I, was, I was so asleep to how things actually were that, it, that it's incredible. Yet, I truly believed that I understood at a very, very deep level how the world works. And, and I would just not be interested in, you know, your opinion on it. I, I've already figured this out. And I was living at home with mom at 33 years old. <laughs> you, you know, I, it, it's just crazy. I was so certain that I understood the world and people and, and business and politics. I was so certain, but I, I had no clue. I was walking around, uh, I was walking around asleep. Something that's, that's typical of the alcoholic, uh, and you'll hear this in almost every alcoholic's story, is that there was, they were incomplete in some way. It might have been uh, that they felt different. It, you know, it, it might have been that they were waiting for the Martians to come and take them away because they thought they were on the wrong planet. I mean, you hear a lot of these stories, but I believe that the alcoholic is incomplete. And I believe that we're yearning and searching for something in kind of a desperate way because there's, there's a missing component to our life. Very common to all of us is, is feeling uncomfortable with ourselves and our environment. That's very, very common. Uh, I know I felt that way. I felt that way in kindergarten. I didn't, I didn't feel like that I was in the right place. You know, when they took me off to kindergarten, I was like, who came up with this kindergarten idea? You know, this is not working for me. And, and, you know, all the way through school, and they wanted me to, to take, take square dancing lessons, and I was supposed to be a Boy Scout and put a little tie on it. i got to tell you, folks, none of that worked for me, you know. I wanted to be somewhere else with different people, you know, doing something else. I, I, never, I never wanted to, to play the games that were being laid out in front of me. And there, was, there, was something, there was something really missing in my ability to appreciate and be comfortable with my life. And I can, I can remember that. I, can, I had a hard time walking down the hall in school. I, you know, I had, they would ask me to give an oral report in front of the class. I would cut school for four days after that to, just to be sure that I'd miss the makeup exam too. I mean, I was just really, I was, you know, I, I, I wanted to go. Okay, I wanted to, I'll see you later. And, uh, and I, I, there was something missing in me. There was a component that would allow me to feel okay with the world. Now, uh, I discovered, I discovered an artificial, uh, solution to this. One day, I was about 12 or 13 years old, and a couple of my buddies and I decided that we were, uh, we were gonna cut school, we were gonna go home, and we were gonna get drunk. We had heard about this and seen the John Wayne movies and stuff, and we thought it would be really cool to do. So that's, that's what we did. We went back, we cut school, we went back to my house, and I brought out a big bottle of Four Roses whiskey, and I poured three big water glasses of it. Now, the important piece to this really isn't what happened to me. I think most people in this room would understand what happened to me. But it's what happened to the other two guys. 
The other two guys drank about two-thirds of their glass and they'd had enough. No more for me, thanks. I hated drinking with people like that. You, you know, people that would have enough on you. But they did. They did. Oh, by the way, you know you're an alcoholic if the last part of your sentence is on me. You know, like somebody died on me or, you know, that's, that's typical of the selfishness of, and self-centeredness of the alcoholic. It's always, you know. But anyway, they had enough on me and... Uh, and, and they sat back and watched the show. Now, this, now each, each, of our, each of our alcoholic experiences are going to have uh, similarities and they're going to have differences. Uh, a lot of people drink their way into uh, the phenomenon of craving, the allergy to alcohol. I had it like that. And, and I, I had to start to deal with it right away. But what happened to me was I drank my glass of Four Roses. I drank another glass of Four Roses. You know, I finished what they didn't drink, and I finished the bottle, and I went into my first blackout. This is at like 12 years old. I came to in a field not knowing how I got there. And then I was horrifically, horrifically ill. Just t- like had to, had to be horizontal for two days. You, you know, your, your first real drunk, how sick you get. That's your body saying, dude, you know, this isn't the best stuff to be putting in you at this kind of level. But, uh, but what happened was, in between the first and the second drink, something very significant happened. And that event colored the, the, rest, of, the rest of my life. Because what happened was, when the alcohol went down in, there was, a, there was a sense of ease and comfort. There was a warm glow kind of thing that went down in me. And all the anxiety I had, all the self-centered fear I had, all, all the forms of just being uncomfortable with you went away. And all of a sudden I felt like for the first time in my life I absolutely fit in. I, I'm in the right place with the right people. This is so cool. This is so great. I feel so great. And then I became a vomiting pig. But, but in between, in between, I finally felt like, like this, is, this is good, man. I'm okay. And I chased that feeling into, into active alcoholism and, and into drug use and everything else. I chased that for the next 20 years. I, 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 needed, to, I needed to feel okay. Now, let's, let's just fast forward a little bit uh, to the last couple of years of my drinking. Uh, I would come to in the clothes that I've been wearing the, the night before, every single morning. And, and the vodka or the bourbon would be coming out of my pores. I would just, you'd smell me and then you'd be like, man, God, take, go take a shower. It was, it was really funky. And, uh, and I would stagger up and, you know, I'd go into the bathroom and, you know, I'd, I'd be just shattered. I would have drank a quart of bourbon or a quart of vodka the night before. And I'd have to go to work. So I, you know, I'd splash water. I'd go out to my $100 car. And, and, uh, and, and you know, I, I, never, I never accumulated anything. There, there, was, there, there was a woman in our home group who raised her head one time. I'm brand new. She raised her hand. She goes, I've got a real problem. I've got a lot on my plate. You know, I, I just bought a new house and I was expecting to sell my old house and my old house isn't selling and I'm stuck with two mortgages now. And I'm thinking, how do you get a house, you know? How do you get a mortgage? 
I, what is credit? You know, I, 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 I was unsympathetic. Anyway, anyway, you know, I would stagger out to my $100 car and I'd go off to my terrible job. And, uh, you know, I was an electrician and I was not a very good one. Uh, I don't recommend the electrical trade for people that are still drinking. Uh, I got to tell you, I, you know, I would electrocute myself at least once a day. I mean, I just left my hair standing straight up. You know, I, I told everybody that's the look I'm going for. You know, uh, it was really bad. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I'd go off to this terrible job and literally, literally, I would I was sh- listen. When you drink like a lot of us do, it's not a hangover. It's alcohol poisoning. You have put so much alcohol in your body that your body is poisoned with ethyl alcohol. It's like hangovers are what the heavy drinkers get, you know. And and I, you know, I would I would uh, uh, I would go to my job and my boss would go, okay, do this, 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 and this. I go like, oh, all right. And and I'd forget what the hell he told me by the time I got to the truck. I'd have to go back with a pad. Like, what did you say, you know? And the, it was a terrible job. He was an alcoholic. That's the only reason he put up with me. And I and I'd run off to like start a fire in somebody's house. Uh, and and the and the whole time, the whole time I would just be so ill. And I would swear to God, I would swear to God that I can't do this anymore. I never want to feel like this again. Today is the day. Today is the day that I am gonna quit. I I, I swear to God. And I meant it. I meant it. You know, Charlie was, Charlie was talking about this, uh, this earlier. You, you know, we mean this. If you put a polygraph, a lie detector on us and you, and the polygraph expert goes, do you really mean this? Yes, that the needle's going to go right to true because I absolutely never wanted to feel like this again. But what would happen is about halfway through the day, uh, I'd start to think about, you know, that decision earlier to never drink again. That's a pretty strong decision. You know, I might have overreacted. As a matter of fact, you know, I'm going to modify that decision a little. I'm actually going to go to the liquor store on the way home. And, and, and I, it was a cycle I couldn't get out of. It's a cycle I couldn't get out of. Now, I was drinking. I was drinking to not feel toward the end. I was drinking to just black out. I just wanted out. Life was just too painful. And, and, you know, the obsession of the mind, the allergy of the body, I was being driven into this alcohol. And, uh, you know, I understand. I understand just how serious this is. You know, earlier... Uh, when uh, when the hands went up and the people came up for the countdown, there was a lot of people in in what I would call early recovery. You know, in the in the first year or so, I, I need to tell you something. If if you've not gone through the steps yet with a sponsor, uh, following the guidelines of the Big Book, if you don't have service commitments, if you haven't made a commitment to a home group, uh, you're in a lot more trouble than you think you are. It, it's absolutely true. We minimize. I mean, 
I'm in, I finally end up in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, you know, I, I stumble in uh, to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I'm going late, and I'm leaving early, and I'm not getting involved with anybody, and I'm really thinking that AA is like a castor oil treatment. You know, you, you go to the meeting once a day to take your medicine, and, and, then you, and then you go home. And I didn't have a clue how aggressive and how corrosive alcoholism really is. The fabric of of my entire being, the fab, the fab, every piece of quality of my life was impacted uh, by alcoholism, and I was so used to it that I just didn't, I just didn't know that recovery was possible. I just didn't know how sick I, I was, and and you know most people die when they become alcoholic. Most people die drunk. There's a there's a small percentage of people who find their way into Alcoholics Anonymous or, or maybe some other other things, who uh, who actually survive this, but it's difficult to survive because we walk and think ourselves out of here. You, you know, think think again about the uh, 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 about this, the, everybody standing up during the countdown. There was there were probably a third of the people had less than a year that stood up in the countdown. Where's everybody going? You, you know, if everybody stayed who came into these things, if everybody stayed, you'd have the same amount of people with two years standing up as you have three, all the way up to 50 or whatever. But we know that doesn't happen. We know that people find their, their, way, their way out of here. And there's many reasons for that. But it, it, just, it shows me just how aggressive alcoholism is. It, just, it shows me how we are. You know, we're, we're looking for a way out. And... Uh, and to be able to stay here is very, very difficult. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, it's hard to get in here. It's easy to stay. I, I think it's the opposite. I, I, think it, I think it's easy to land in here. You know, we, somebody will push you through the door. But it's hard to stay. There's a certain amount of work we have to do. I believe if we're alcoholic, there's a certain amount of work we have to do to, to be able to stay. And that's not something everybody wants to hear. You know, I, I remember, I remember early on in a meeting, somebody was talking about actually doing the steps. I got sober in New Jersey in the late '80s, and uh, and it was a whole different dynamic than it is today. But every once in a while, someone would be talking about the steps, and there'd be an, there'd be an old timer who'd go, "Kid, if they told me I had to do all these steps and I had to do all this work when I first came in here, I'd been right out the door." And I always thought to myself, you know, you're, you're, you know, you, you're probably overestimating our concern about whether you would stay or not. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how much good you really are, Clem, uh, for, uh, for, for, uh, for our group conscience here. But, but anyway. Um, there was there was a lot of negativity to work. There was a, the work that you have to do. There was a lot of negativity to God. There was a beginners meeting where they in the in, in the actual in the actual format of the meeting it told you not to talk about God because you might you might scare the newcomer out. You know uh, that'd be like saying to a cancer patient, uh, don't talk to him about chemo or radiation. You know you, you might you might scare him away. Well, cancer's going to scare him back. You know, same thing happens. Uh, same thing happens with us uh, and alcoholism. We're going to we have to we have to come to this 
with a willingness to participate. And that willingness, I wish I could give a pill to some of the people that I work with to make them willing. I've not found the secret answer to that. And Ralph was talking about uh, alcohol is the great persuader. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. You couldn't have got me into Alcoholics Anonymous with a Komatsu tractor before uh, before I was ready. I I just I would have avoided it like the plague. And, uh, you know, so there's there's got to be there's got to be some uh, some participation in uh, in the recovery process here. Now, talking about awakening, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we are lucky. We have, we have an actual program that pretty much promises a spiritual awakening if we follow it. But awakenings, and the term awakening have been around for a long time. There was, uh, in America, there were the great awakenings of the 17 and 1800s. And really what they were, were they were religious revivals. You know, the, the era of the tent preachers, where they'd put up the gigantic tent and they'd drag people in and everybody would get saved. And there was a lot of spiritual fervor. And this really changed a lot of the dynamics uh, in, in America, these early, these early uh, tent revivals. And they called this period of time, historically, you know, the Great Awakenings. So people have been awakening to their spiritual nature through, uh, through religion for a long time. It's not that Alcoholics Anonymous fig- figured out a specific thing that had never existed before. You know, there were awakenings going on in the Oxford group prior, prior to, Bill, to Bill showing up. But I believe, I believe in, a, in awakening. There's many aspects to awakening. I believe one of them is a shift in perception. I believe that we start to see things differently. And I believe a spiritual awakening and awakening is a, is a shift in behavior. We're going to start reacting differently to life. We're going to start behaving differently. We start to really understand maybe what our purpose is here. An accurate, humble self-appraisal is part of, uh, part of an awakening. One of, one of my favorite speakers... Um, uh, Anthony DeMillo, uh, uh, it was rare that his, his retreats and workshops would get taped, but I got, I got a hold of one of them. And uh, he gets everybody together, and they're all gathered in the meeting. And he starts, off, he starts off his talk like this. I'm Anthony DeMillo, and I'm here to get you to wake up! And, you know, and, and the, whole, the, whole place, the whole place goes like this. And... Uh, that, that's really what, what he was there for. We, we, we need to wake up. One of the greatest things about working, working with others is, is you, you, can, you can recognize you know, just, just the level of devastation that alcoholism has, the, the level of how much someone is asleep to what is going on in their life. Um, uh, this weekend I, I was revolved around a, a handful of people uh, who, uh, who were involved in... Uh, trying to figure out the proper hospitalization for some of the befogged people that showed up here this weekend. There was like four 12-step calls that, that resulted in one form of treatment or other that happened down in the, in the front. And, uh, and I, a lot of times when I get involved in work like that, I get, I get to see the true face of alcoholism, the true face of, of addictive illness. And you, you, get to, you get to see somebody who is toxically 
uh, and critically uh, minimizing their particular condition. You know, uh, how, how often does, it, does this happen? How often do you get somebody that asks you to, to, to work the steps with you? You know, would you take me through the steps? Okay, sure. Um, uh, here's, what, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to come over on, on Thursday night and, you know, we'll, we'll get down. We'll start work. And it'll be like, oh, Thursday's no good for me, man. Yeah, well, what, what, are you, what are you doing Thursday? Oh, you know, uh, actually, this whole summer is not too good for me. Uh, it, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to be touring with the dead. And uh, I always tour with the dead. And yeah, but you're you're one day sober. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, a lot of times they think we're they think we're overreacting when, when we're trying when we're trying to work with them. Uh, but there's there's so much there's so much work that really has to happen. Now, I truly have had a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I stand before you today with with an awakened spirit. An awakened spirit does not mean that I'm a perfect person. It doesn't mean that I make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I'm not wrong sometimes. It, it just means that I, I'm, I'm basically awake to the spiritual life as a necessity for me moving forward. I'm awake to the fact that I have toxic selfishness and self-centeredness. And the foundation of my life was built on that. And I need, I need to work very, very diligently to try to move off of that foundation toward a foundation of service. And, and compassion. And uh, I, I've realized that through the work uh, involved in the, 12, in the 12 steps. If you have not done a fourth step, if you haven't, if you haven't inventoried your resentments, your fears, uh, if you haven't really closely inventoried your conduct and moved through the rest of the steps, especially steps eight and nine, you don't know what your problem is. Those particular steps highlight what your actual problem is. The causes and conditions, the, the root foundation of your alcoholism. So it's very, very important to pay attention to those things. For the longest time, for the longest time, I thought drinking was my problem. I really did. I was in AA for six months, just going to AA to not drink. Now, for the for the newer people in here, not not drinking is pretty important. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm minimizing that. You know that that's that's a pretty important thing to do. But the root problem is is a much deeper much deeper problem. Um, and a story I tell that kind of kind of illuminates this is this particular story. Now, I told you I was a bad electrician, and by, by the afternoon, I would have convinced myself to go to the liquor store. And that happened like clockwork uh, Monday through Friday. Um, and I had, a, I had a liquor store that I had a, a relationship with the owner. You know, we had an understanding that he would have Gordon's vodka on the shelf or he, ha- he would have George Dickel bourbon on the shelf, depending on whether it was winter or summer. And he knew not to run out of that because we had had discussions. And, uh, <laughs> and this one day, this one day I, I'm tearing, I'm tearing to, to the liquor store, a terrible day at work where I had to electrocute my helper to get rid of him, you know. Uh, I, used, I never used to be able to just say, look, you're, you're not working out, 
you know, I think that you need to move on. I thought it was a better idea to, to have them work on a junction box and then turn the switch on. You know? <laughs> you know, you do that to somebody three or four times and they change their career. Um, so that's how it, but anyway, I, you know, I, I'm heading to the liquor store and, uh, and I grab my bottle and I head up, you know, I've got my 20, I'm real efficient with this checking out thing, you know, and, uh, and I get up there and there, there's a, there's a lady who's talking to the person, uh, behind the cash register and she's going, what kind of wine goes with tilapia? And, and I'm standing there like, what? You know? And he's answering her. He's going, well, it's this marvelous new Chablis from the vineyard regions of California. It's got kind of a blush. And, and I'm like, I'm like, are you nuts? Are you nuts? Vodka buyer! Vodka buyer here! You know, that trumps the wine lady! Just give her some gallo and get her the hell out of here! I gotta check out, I gotta check out! I got, I got, I got a pro, I got, I'm sober! You, you know? I, I, I'm freaking out now. Now, now, now think about, think about this. Really, is it really, is drinking really my problem? If, if I experience something like that. Drinking is really the bad solution. To, to the problem. Being so freaked out in the line is a manifestation of my alcoholism. Being the type of person who's really impatient, really selfish, you know, uh, you know, just not caring about anybody or anything except, you know, their own agenda. That's really the cause and condition of alcoholism. I quiet that person with a bottle of booze. The problem is, the problem is, is the bottle, you know, I can't, I can't drink. My alcoholism has progressed to the point where it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill me. I start to drink it and, uh, you know, who knows, who knows what happens. So all of a sudden I show up in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I'm the guy behind the tilapia lady and you're telling me just don't take a, a drink no matter what. You know, there has to be a complete personality change at depth. There, ha there has to be a shift in my perception and my, uh, my ability to, to feel comfortable in the world. That has to happen. It just has to happen or, or, or else I'm not going to make it. I'll be able to stay in the rooms a month, a year. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, the trials and low spots ahead will happen and I will shatter myself out of here. And, and I'll end up back with the, the solution that doesn't work anymore, you know, just, to, just as an escape. So that, that, type of, that type of psychology has to be treated. It has to be treated. And it gets treated in the, uh, in the 12 steps. I truly believe it. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens by going, going to meetings. That's, I believe it's essential, going to meetings. And I believe service commitments are essential. But I believe the true healing of my alcoholic nature comes in the practice of the, the, the 12 steps. You know, so I've had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps. You know, step, step 11 has kind of prepared me for a better acceptance of the spiritual awakening. Uh, more, more and better practices for achieving, uh, achieving the spiritual awakening. 
from the, from my earliest days partying, I recognized that there was spiritual malnutrition in Chris. I, I, I recognize it. I remember being in college and seeking out Carlos Castaneda books and Alan Watts books. I was reading all this, you know, P.D. Auspensky, all these really wacky authors that, uh, that, that had, uh, had depth and weight with their spiritual language. And I, I was drawn to those books. I, I was drawn to that stuff. And I think, it, I think it was a natural draw. There was the thing that was missing in me, uh, I was being pulled toward. Well, today the same kind of thing is happening. Um, probably 50% of what I read, and I do a lot of books on tape, uh, probably more than 50% of that is spiritual literature. I find a great comfort in spiritual wisdom, I find a great recovery in actually taking that spiritual wisdom and directly impacting my behavior with it. You know, uh, recovery from alcoholism is behavioral. Everyone has said this who's been up here. It's not necessarily about what we think or our opinions. It's more about how we turn spiritual principles into action in our life. And, uh, I'm not going to say I'm very successful at this. I still have a lot of challenges in my life. But over the course of the last 24 years or so, I've been trying to apply these spiritual principles uh, in my life. And step 11 was an important point in that because step 11 exposes me to prayer. It exposes me to meditation. It also exposes me to the people who know more than I do about prayer and, the, and more than I do about meditation. So I've found a lot of comfort in that. There's a great line. There's a great line in the forward to um, the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. A's 12 Steps are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And that's a great one-sentence description of what the 12 steps do. I, I need to be happily and usefully whole to be able to stay sober and to have quality in my life. And I certainly need it to be able to stay separated from, uh, from alcohol. I, I don't have the power on my own uh, to stay separated from alcohol. You know, in step 10, I learned that uh, I have to reactively apply these principles in my day-to-day affairs. Uh, we have to live life. We've got to go out there and, you know, we can get kicked in the shins and we can get put in, in some uh, tricky situations. The more we're able to apply spiritual principles, uh, the more we're able to promptly admit when we're wrong, uh, the more we're able to seek God's direction in these things, uh, the better we're going to get along, the more comfortable we're going to flow through all of this. Step nine really showed me a lot. It showed me the depth of the harm. I had a, I had a clue about how much harm I had caused. I learned just how much harm I had caused after I made direct amends uh, to people. They told me how I hurt them. I love to think, well, this is how I hurt you. 
<laughs> Anyone that's got experience with amends knows that it gets a little deeper than that when you're involved in the amends. Uh, uh, we don't have an accurate perspective really on the damage we've done until we go out and we make amends. Uh, step eight, I need to become willing. I need to become willing to make amends uh, to the people that I've, I've harmed. Uh, that's a serious piece of willingness, by the way. Um, that really separates the people who are serious about their recovery problem and who aren't. Um, I come from a school, a spiritual tradition, where you actually go out and make amends, you actually do this work, and I try to encourage that with, uh, with, with the people that I work with. I think that there's nothing that will put more uh, horsepower into your recovery than steps eight and steps nine. And I find it's very, very important. Um, I also find that sometimes the key to not allowing character defects to impact your life, not to continue to be stuck in these patterns of defects, one of the great ways to do that is to go out and make amends. There's, there's something inherent in the actual making of amends that makes it more difficult for you to cause the same kind of harm. It's possible to continue to do so. I know I do myself, but uh, I, think, uh, I think the magic in steps six and seven is the action we take in steps eight and nine. In steps six and seven, uh, I need to become willing to have the character defects. You know, my alcoholism, my, the damaged nature uh, of my condition, I need, to, uh, I need to start looking at that. I need to understand that if I could change my life, I would. If all I had to do was want and try to remove my character defects, I could have done so. But no matter how much I wanted and how much I tried to not engage in behavior or to change the way I was living, I was unable to do so. I found myself stuck in these patterns. Uh, that came from the, the selfish and self-centered uh, nature that, that I had. So I need to understand in, in step six and step seven that, that God is the power. Bill Wilson talks about God in many, many different ways in this book. I, I love some of the Father of Light. You know, he uses a ton of, uh, of descriptives when he's talking about God. But I think he was talking about a God of power. When I showed up in Alcoholics Anonymous, the type of God I had was other. I had an other God. I had a God up in the clouds, sitting on the throne, taking notes on the Schroeder kid, you know, for Judgment Day. This was, this was a punishing God that was, was going to know everything and I was going to be in deep trouble. Bill Wilson was... Part of, uh, part of basically a new thought movement that some of the people that he was, he was inspired by were very, very liberal and very new thought uh, people. And I think, his, I think his vision of a God had a lot more to do with power than it had to do with personhood. It was a lot more verb than it was noun. You know what I mean? Because when he's describing in here, he's describing that this power is going to be able to transform our lives. This power will be able to place us in a position of neutrality where we're safe and protected. And I believe this 
this is the power that we can, we can uh, touch in with, that we can become unblocked from, that will have the ability to transform our lives and to enable, uh, enable us to move forward so that we're not trapped in a cycle of, uh, of character defects that are causing us uh, and the people that we care about a whole lot of, a whole lot of trouble. Step five, I, I really became as honest as I could at that moment with another, another person. And, and that, I've done many fifth steps, and that's true of every one of them. I've become as absolutely honest as I possibly could at that moment uh, with the insight that I had during that fifth step. And what that has done is that's offered me a great, a great amount of freedom. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but the things that I was ashamed of, the secrets that I had, the harms that I had caused, that went, caused others and other institutions that remain completely unaddressed because I just didn't want to look at them, what, those things were corroding my quality of life. And if you're alcoholic, they're going to corrode your spiritual condition. There needs to be a cleansing. To be able to get to awakening, there needs to be a cleansing. And these, char- the, these character defects needs, need to be addressed. And we do that by, by sharing with another person. We're the type of people who will we'll be in therapy for 30 years, paying like 100 bucks an hour. And we'll, we'll get this far and we'll come into Alcoholics Anonymous and do a fist step with a plumber, you know, and, and it's just going to, you know, we're, we're going to, oh man, I feel so much better. There's a simplicity and there's an economy to these instructions in this book that, that, that that's just wonderful. I, I swear it's not deeply Freudian complexities. It's just not. It's, it's, very, it's very simple spirituality 101 that Bill got in touch with when he was back in the Oxford group. So I need, to sh- I need to share this stuff. I need to share my inventories. I need to share the fourth column of uh, my resentment inventory. I need to share my fears, and I certainly need to share my conduct inventory with someone that I'm going uh, to be held accountable to, whether it's a teacher, a spiritual advisor, or a sponsor. They, they need to know the patterns of my behavior. And when you do the conduct inventories and the resentment inventories, if you listen to enough of them, you can pick up on the patterns. You can pick up on how somebody is, is on the wrong set of tracks, and you can help them get back on, on the right one. Again, in step four, step four is really identifying the causes and conditions. I, I mean, you know, have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one where someone will come up to you after some debacle and go, what's wrong with you? You know, what is wrong with you? I, I, I would hear that on a weekly basis. And, and it was a very difficult question to answer. You know, I mean, usually I'd say, what's wrong with you? You know, because I got I, the lights on me. I got to shift that light quick. You know, what's your problem? And, uh, I didn't know. I didn't know what my problem was. And most of the time I didn't even think about it. I would just shift the conversation. But every once in a while I would ask myself, what is wrong with me? 
You know, I am telling you, until you do these inventories, until you really thoroughly and honestly put together those, those lists, you're really not going to have a true understanding of why life has been so tough for you. You know, why have, why have you had those bad breaks, misunderstandings, and, 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 and uh, wives and husbands and girlfriends and boyfriends that, that, that were disloyal and misunderstood you, you know? I, I mean... Uh, I, Katie, when you asked that question, how many people in here are married, and 10% of the hands went up, that was telling for me. You know what I mean? There's a great line in the 12 and 12 that says, defective relationships are almost always the cause of our immediate woes, including our alcoholism. Now, there's a lot of descriptions in our literature that talk about what an alcoholic is. But that's the only place I've seen in the literature that says why we're an alcoholic. You know, like what was the cause of alcoholism? Defective relationships. Why do we have defective relationships? Because of the selfishness and self-centered. We're the actor trying to run the whole show. You know, we, we absolutely have the best idea of how to manage this whole thing. Our family, our, 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 our boss is always an idiot. You know, the, the people driving in the next lane are always maniacs. I mean, we, we just, we know, we know we could, if people would just do what we think, that they should be doing this whole thing would go well I mean you know that's that's what we are I'll give you I'll give you an example I ended up in a treatment center in early 1989 I, I signed myself into Happy Hills you know I, I mean I had run out of plants you know and I'm in there about three days till you start to figure, you start to, you know, you go in there desperate, oh, please help me, please help me. And like three days later, you're going, how come we can't use the phone? What, what, what's with this food? You know, you know, you have decaf coffee? You know, and I start, this is a typical alcohol, alcoholic, right? I gather the troops together. And I'm going, I'm going, we're going to strike, you know? We're gonna, let's get together, let's demand our rights. I got, I got a piece of hospital plastic on my wrist. I'm in the hatch. And, and I, you know, and I want people to follow, follow me. You know? Oh, my God. And they did, you know? And they're like, we're with Chris. Oh, my God. So... I mean, this is, it's, 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 ter- folks, it's terminal. It's terminal. If, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to run the rehab with three days sober, that's terminal. You're in, you're in real trouble if you want to do that, you know? Uh, and, and, and so I start to, t- I start to see a lot of this stuff in the fourth step. I start to see it. Now, the third, the third step, the third step is really where I, I, am I in? Or am I out of this thing? You know, am I am I going to? This is not a uh, this is not a, a program of suggestions. It's a suggested program. You know, so if you're going to do Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, it's not a cafeteria. You don't take step six. I'll use a little step six today, and you know, a little a little eleven. You know, it, it's it's not a program of suggestions. It's a suggested program. If you want to do Alcoholics Anonymous, I would I would I would recommend that you know you do the steps and you do them in order and you do them with someone who's experienced because uh there's just too many we can go off on if if we're the type of people who are going to try to take over the rehab with three days there there's some tangents that we can go on we can go down some rabbit holes so uh so it's a good idea to find yourself 
someone who's, who, who you're going to be accountable to, who you'll, you'll, you'll work through this stuff with. So in step three, I need, to, I need to make a decision to engage in the rest of this process. I need to make a decision to do the rest of the steps. I, I, part of my decision is becoming consistent with meeting attendance, uh, working with a sponsor, someone that I'm held accountable to, and, uh, and being available when it's available and appropriate for service commitments. Uh, it's a package deal for me. I, I see Alcoholics Anonymous uh, as the circle and triangle, as, as the legacies. You know, the recovery legacy, uh, that's the 12 steps out of the big book. Uh, the service legacy, that, that's making it possible for or carrying the message to the still suffering alcoholic. Uh, and there's a lot of latitude in that. My favorite belief about uh, the service uh, part of the triangle is the chapter working with others. I think that's probably the most underused chapter in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's probably the most misunderstood thing that we do out there. Uh, there's there's a hundred instructions in the chapter working with others. And when I do them, which I don't always do, but when I follow them, things work. Uh, it, one of two things will happen. Uh, someone will recover or someone who is not ready will go away and leave me alone. And either one of those outcomes is fine. In the early days, I, I just attracted a bunch of dysfunctional people who wouldn't do anything and just caused a lot of trouble and used me for cover. You know, if, if I follow uh, the instructions in the chapter working with others, that doesn't happen. So in the third step, I, I, I have to buy in. I, I have to become part of this thing at a working level. You know, I really have to be in. I have to actually be doing this stuff. Um, step two, I need to come to believe that there's a power greater than myself, that, that I can get in touch with spiritual power, and that spiritual power can work in me and through me. My job will be to, to remove the blocks to to make that spiritual power available. And I'll spend the rest of my life removing the things that I've put up in the way of a clear connection to the power and grace of God. Because it's all me. I believe, I believe, the, I believe that... Uh, I believe that the power of God is available to all of us. Um, God always has been, always will be, and is today available to us. That power is available to us. But through the covenant of... um, through the covenant of self-awareness that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, that self-awareness, we can take self and ruin our whole spiritual life. I, I, I'm telling you, this is what I think happened in the, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, <laughs> Adam and Eve are running around in the garden, right? They're naked, you know, the fruits on the trees. They're having a blast. And, you know, God comes in and God goes, listen, you know, I, I, I put paradise together for you and I want you to enjoy yourself. There's just there's a suggestion that I have. And that suggestion is that tree over there, that's a, that's a tree of self-centeredness. That's a tree of, of self-awareness. I, I'd, I'd recommend that you stay away from the, the fruit of that tree. 
And he leaves and, you know, they decide for one, one reason or another that, you know, uh, he could have been wrong. And, uh, and, and they both eat of the, the tree of, uh, of self-awareness. And, you know, all of a sudden they become self-conscious, right? All of a sudden it's like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> I'm me. And, uh, and they get the fig leaves. They got to cover themselves up. You know, they're like, they're like all shy. And, and, and God shows back up and, uh, and, he, and he looks at him. He takes one look at him and he goes, did you, did, did you eat from that tree that I told you not to eat from? And then they're like, no, you know, and he, he, he knows right away. Right. So he goes, okay, okay, listen, I, you know, I love you guys. And it just seems to me that, you know, you want self-awareness, you, you want the, the self-centeredness or you wouldn't have ate from that tree. So, so that's cool. That's cool. But you, you gotta, you gotta get out of paradise and you got to go east to Eden to the land of Nod. Anybody been in the land of Nod? Oh, man, every, every night around 7 o'clock, I'd be like... And if I wasn't calling somebody up, you know, drunk and dialing, I, 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 I lived in the land of Nod. Uh, you got to go to the land of Nod. So, so kind, of in, kind of in step two... What it's asking us is it's, is it's basically we can, we can come to believe that we can reaccess paradise. We can reaccess this this uh, the spiritual continuity that we walked away from from being so self exhibited. And we can we can come to believe that that's available for us. And folks, it, it is, you know, what? One of the great promises in this book is, uh, is well, there's a ton of great promises, but we can be spearheads of God's ever advancing creation. Oh, my God. Imagine. You know, what are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm going to be the spearhead of God's ever advancing creation. It's not something you want to share at the PTA meeting, but. But to a degree, it's true. I mean, you know, we we become. We become channeled. The power manifests in us, and we can do things that we couldn't do on our own. We can we can become impactful to our community and our, our environment in ways that are just absolutely I- I- incredible. You know, part of my part of my story is uh, is unbelievable to me. I mean, I was. Uh, I was the kind of alcoholic. All I did was I'd get home, I'd start drinking, I'd pass out, I'd wake up and go to work the next day, I'd go to the liquor store, I'd go, I'd pass out. I, I had absolutely no ability to do anything. I, I was caught in in, a, in an unbelievably aggressive cycle of uh, of drinking, and I could not I could not get out of it. Uh, Today, uh, today they talk. Another promise is you, you pack into the stream of life all that you can pack in. I, I, I'm a stream of life packer. I got to tell you, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life. I got a I got a call uh, on Wednesday, and my company said, uh, Chris, we want you to uh, go out and uh, run a big piece of business for us in Colorado. I'm like, well, when is this going to happen? Uh, we need you there yesterday. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to move to Colorado, you know. So I'm flying out, I'm flying out there on Tuesday, and uh, uh, and I'm, I'm probably, you know, it's probably 90% chance I'm I'm going to be moving to to Colorado, and and you know what? I have a little bit of anxiety about this because there's some there's some unknowns. It's a, it's an account that's in a lot of trouble. It's it's going to take a lot of work, but 
I know everything's going to be okay. I know, I know that my wife and I are going to have a great experience out there. And what is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is it doesn't work out and I've got to find another job. I've only done that about 20 times, you know. That's okay. I know I can get through that. So really, what's, what's worth it? it it's, it it's, an, it's an opportunity to do something different. Guess who lives in Colorado? My wife and two of our grandchildren. I'm, I'm sorry, my, my, uh, my daughter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I oh, she's going to kill me for that. That was, that was not a Freudian slip. That, that, uh, uh, my, my tongue got caught. No, no who, who, who lives out there is my daughter and, and two of my grandchildren. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get a chance to see them that much. Uh, I haven't been a big part of their life because it's very hard for them to travel and it's very hard for me to travel. So that's going to be a great opportunity. The Denver area is where the recovery process that, that I'm most inspired by, that's where the genesis of it was. So, oh my God, I'm going to be able to go out there and, and hang, with, uh, hang in some of the meetings that, that uh, started the whole, um, the whole recovery awakening that I've been, I've been involved with. That's going, to be absolute, that's going to be absolutely great. And all of these steps are powered by my full-blown understanding of step one. My full concession to step one. And I truly, in my heart of heart, understand and have a buy-in with step one. There, there, when you, if you can get somebody to that that you're working with, there's going to be a lot less resistance to the work that you lay out in front of them. If they have a true understanding of step one, they're not going to be hemming and hawing because they're going to know how much trouble they're in. Step one is, dash, my life had become unmanageable. Well, what is that? What is that? Well, I know I was crashing cars and getting divorces and losing jobs and, you know, waking up in Topeka with one shoe. I mean, I knew all of that. That, that that's certainly unmanageable. But the true unmanageability was the emotional and spiritual unmanageability that I was suffering from. I was on a good day, restless, irritable and discontented on a normal day. Pray to misery, depression, anxiety, shame, guilt, remorse, suicidal ideation. You know, I mean, that's like a normal day. On a bad day, it was the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, and pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. That's really what my unmanageability was like. I like to tie my unmanageability in to the results of my drinking. But it's, it's worse than that. It's deeper than that. It's more caustic than, than results of bad drinking. It's in, it's in the fiber of my being, this unmanageability. And I understand that today. And I certainly understand my relationship with alcohol. I know what my relationship with alcohol is. My relationship with alcohol is, don't even fool yourself. I am not in charge when I drink or not. I cannot take ownership of when I drink or not. I'm not one of these guys that's going to say, I just don't drink even if my ass falls off. That's taking ownership of something that's more powerful than me. I don't want to do that. That, that. I believe the power and the grace of God keeps me safe and protected, keeps me in a position of neutrality. It's not on me. If it was on me, 
you know, I'd make a bad decision somewhere and I'd, I'd end up drunk. But the last 24 years, that hasn't been a decision of mine. It's it's a. Uh, it's something that God is in charge of. And I understand that when I drink, when I drink, I, I, can't, I can't control the amount I drink. I, I have a chronic allergy to alcohol. And what that looks like is the first drink always takes a second, the second always insists on the third, the third always demands the fourth. And, I, you know, I am wandering around, you know, wondering who I am, asking people, do you know who I am? You know, by, by the end of the night, I, I, I just don't, I just I won't know. So, so working forward, step one, moving all the way through step 12, if I buy into this process, I am going to have an awakening. I'm going to have a deep and abiding relationship with my creator. I'm going to, I'm going to understand, I'm going to understand, I'd have, I'm going to have an accurate self-appraisal of, uh, of my position, my position in the world. I am truly going to, going to understand that. Uh, I'm going to be connected to something that is much more, uh, much more powerful than I am. Another great promise in the book Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, that, that God will give you if, you, if you practice this stuff as a way of life, God will give you things that are much better than anything that you can design yourself. Now, what kind of a promise is that? That's an incredible promise. God is going to offer to me much more than anything I can, I can come up with myself. So listen, if you haven't had a spiritual awakening, um, if you're thinking, I don't know if I had a spiritual awakening, you, you probably haven't. Uh, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but usually when you wake up, you know you're awake. Uh, Please, please go after that. That is the brass ring in Alcoholics Anonymous. The spiritual awakening as a result of these steps is the brass ring. That's what it is. It's not getting 20, 30, 40, 50 years sober and still being cranky. You, you know what I mean? Like, I keep my for 40 years. That's not the brass ring. You know, we, we absolutely insist upon enjoying life. You know, we absolutely insist upon enjoying life. That's part of the spiritual awakening. The people that I hang out with, the, the, the incredible speakers that were here uh, this weekend, every single one of them demands that they enjoy life. I, I, I know most of them, uh, and I met the other ones that I didn't know this weekend. It, this, is, this, is about, this is about gaining access to what really matters and what really is valuable in our life. And, and you know what? <clears throat> Once we become awakened, we're now awakened to compassion. We're now in tune with uh, the necessity of helping other people gain this, to gain this spiritual awakening, to help people get sober, to help people survive alcoholism. You know, uh, the, group of, the group of people that I like to associate myself with, if you become involved with that group of, of people, you're going to improve your chances of survivability uh, where it concerns alcoholism greatly because these, these people really care and they've learned how to help you uh, jump through the hurdles of your own perception and move forward with this this spiritual work. They've they've become really, uh, really good with it. You know, um, 
to end, I want to thank Mark and his team for putting this together. Uh, wow, what a, what a great conference this was. Uh, I've, I saw and hung out with so many of my friends here. This is, at, you know, please, please make this an annual event because uh, uh, it's, it's just great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And now we're going to close with uh, this meeting with the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Bless the kingdom, power, and glory, for your and ever. Amen. All right.